1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. But instead, we were like young children among you. Just as nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Amy. I just want to keep your booklet open there, or if you haven't got a booklet, it's on page 1086 of the Black Bibles, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1086. It's uh, 17 years since I uh, quit my job as an academic and went into full-time ministry, was ordained, and uh, back in the UK, you're encouraged to choose a verse that you take into your ministry with you. And so my chaplain said, go home, think about a verse you want to take into your life and ministry with you. I was like, whoa, there's lots of verses in the Bible I'm going to choose. So no, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's a great verse. Christ's love compels us. That's a great verse. The verse I chose for my ordination, we've actually had read this afternoon, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It's on the screen. It says... Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And that verse to me has been so special for the last 17 years. And I chose that verse because ministry is not about shoveling the Bible down down people's throats. Ministry is not about standing in the pulpit, teaching, teaching, teaching without the relationship. Ministry is not just about the the business of running a church with spreadsheets and with uh, finance sheets or architects and building committees. Ministry is about people and people matter. I chose that verse because I wanted in ministry to, to care for people and love people and share my life with people as I shared the gospel with them. Hand in hand, you share the gospel with people as you share your life with them. As you care for them, you point them to Christ. 
And I think what prompted me to choose that verse was that from the moment I became a Christian 28 years ago, people in my Christian life have just modeled this verse to me. People who have cared for me, people who have loved me, people who shared their life with me, and people who shared the gospel with me. Here's just a few of them. Father Stuart Dunnan is a Catholic, Anglo-Catholic priest. Uh, he cared for me. He walked with me through the valley of the shadow of death when my father was dying. I wasn't yet a Christian, but he cared for me and he loved me. And he shared his life with me. He shared all the struggles and all the joys of being single. In the middle is David Gibb, who's the first guy who read the Bible with me one-to-one -one and discipled me. But he didn't just sit there with the Bible open. He actually shared his life with me. He talked about what it was to be a husband and to be a father. And when I was homeless, they invited me into their home and I lived with them, warts and all. He shared life as well as shared the, the gospel with me. Uh, top uh, left is uh, David Fletcher. He is the pastor of my first evangelical church, a big church, a huge church. What struck me about him was that he knew my name. Really small thing, but he knew my name. I walked to church every week and he knew my name. He said, how are you, Paul? And he told me he prayed for me and he did pray for me. He cared for me and he loved me as he taught me about Jesus. And I could go on with all these other people that is, Alistair Sidder and Jim Crosler all, all invited me into their life. And the point is that these men and these women in my life who have cared for me, shared their lives with me, and shared the gospel with me. So let me ask you, who are the people in your life who have done that for you? Who have cared for you, shared their life with you, and shared the gospel with you? Slightly harder question, who are the people in your life right now that you're seeking to care for? And seeking to share your life with as you seek to tell them about Jesus. We're in this passage in 1 Thessalonians. It's one of my favorite letters. I call it Paul's most cuddly letter because it's warm and it's gentle and it's loving. Uh, Paul visited Thessalonica for just a few weeks and he was kicked out, he was forced out, he was driven out overnight. He was just there for a few weeks, but he really opened up his heart and opened his home to these people. He loved them, and he shared the gospel with them. He left behind a church. And if you ask the Apostle Paul what were his top tips for ministry or the top tips for church planting, I don't think he would talk about techniques. He'd talk about character. And I don't think he would draw six boxes and say, come on, make a commitment to follow Christ. He'd say it's about caring for people and pointing them to Jesus Christ as you do life with them. And I was going to call this sermon a portrait of a pastor. But it's actually more than that. It's a portrait of an ordinary Christian. Because you and I have been entrusted with this gospel and left in this world to live for Jesus. And to care for people and to share your life with them. It's a repeated word in this passage. You probably missed it. It's actually the first two words. You know, says Paul. Verse 1, you know our visit wasn't a failure. Verse 2, as you know. Verse 5, you know we never use flattery. Verse 9, you know or you remember. Verse 10, you are witnesses. Verse 11, for you know. And what Paul is saying here is that I'm not just writing you this handbook on how to care for people well. I actually did it. 
Remember when I was with you? Did you watch the way that I lived? You know this is true. So I want to give you just four ways that you and I can be caring and sharing Christians. Four ways that we can care for people well, share our lives with them, and share the gospel. And let's start with that last one, sharing the gospel. For that we need courage. We need to be courageous or bold. He said in verse 2, we'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. And when Paul talks about strong opposition in verse 2, he is not saying that if you're a Christian, you might not get promoted at work, or if you're a Christian, you might not get invited to a party, or if you're a Christian, someone might laugh at you. By strong opposition, he means for him, he was spat on, beaten, imprisoned, and tortured for his faith. He was treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But, verse 2, with the help of our God, in God's strength... With the power of the Holy Spirit, we dared to tell you the good news about Jesus Christ. I love that he walked straight into Philippi and he's thinking, I can't do this by myself, God. I need your help. But these people need to hear that God loves them. These people need to hear that Jesus died for them. And so he boldly or courageously just keeps on talking about Jesus. I hope you know that If and when we talk about Jesus, not everyone's going to like that. They shouldn't be offended by our manner. They shouldn't be offended by our arrogance or our brashness. That is wrong. But not everyone's going to like hearing about Jesus. And we need to be courageous or bold. I think of my friend Anorak who is living in South Thailand right now and daily receives death threats. But he keeps on talking about Jesus. And I think of my friend Pete who is, he felt first called by God to reach the housing commission in the northeast of England. And so what he's done is actually with his wife and three kids, he's gone to live in the housing commission to share his life with them. And he almost daily receives threats for that. I think of some of you choosing to work in very hostile workplaces. I think of Mahio and Mona and Betty here on Tuesday night at Reza's funeral, boldly talking about the hope they have in Jesus. So be courageous. Number two, we need integrity. If we're going to share our life with people, our lives need to match what we preach. And what you see with Paul is the same person at home, at work, at church, in the gym. And people respect integrity. He says in verses 3 to 6 that he had integrity as he spoke. He didn't compromise. He didn't take shortcuts. He didn't try and manipulate. He didn't use trickery. He says in verse 3, the appeal we make, that's appeal about Jesus, doesn't spring from error. So I just told you what the Bible says. And so if the Bible says Jesus Christ is the only way to God, that's what Paul taught. If the Bible says that Jesus talked about judgment day, that's what Paul taught. If the Bible says about grace, not good, good works, that's what he taught. There's no error or impure motives. What are the kind of impure motives that Paul could have had? 
The same today, isn't it? A lot of preachers, a lot of evangelists, a lot of pastors, the impure motives are money, popularity, and power. You know, you earn some money, get people to give to the church. Uh, and Paul said this in verse 5, We never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. We weren't in it for your money. God is our witness. I do find it very sad the number of people who have been put off church or put off Jesus by greedy, money-hungry ministers. You know, for some people, it's all about what house they live in and what car they drive and what holidays they go on. I think the world sees through that, don't they? Why is this guy doing it? Just for the money? That's not Paul, and he wasn't there to be popular. Verse 6 is very confronting. He says, we were not looking for praise from people. Not from you or anyone else. We were not looking for the pat on the back saying, Paul, you are amazing. Paul was not bothered what people thought about him. That's liberating, isn't it? Not into pleasing people, not the affirmation of men or the affirmation of women. Just wants to please his God. So as he spoke the gospel, he spoke with integrity. He told people exactly what they needed to hear to believe in Jesus. His message was one of integrity. When I became a Christian in the UK 28 years ago, my pastor said to me, oh, when you talk to people about Jesus, just use the ABCD. Admit your sins. Get people to acknowledge they're a sinner. They need a saviour. Believe Jesus died for you and believe Jesus rose again. Admit, believe. He said, but the C is important. Count the cost. Count the cost of following Jesus before you ask them to decide to follow Jesus. And he said, most people miss out the C, count the cost. They just say, admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and give your life to Christ. And I remember him saying to me, there's a lot of people out there who are so disillusioned with church and disillusioned with God because at one point in their life, they gave their life to Christ without actually understanding what that really meant. That wasn't Paul. He had integrity to say, following Jesus Christ is going to mean Jesus Christ is your saviour. Yes, he died for your sins, but he's also your Lord. And what's striking about Paul is that he not only preached a pure message... He lived a life of integrity. Verse 10 is very confronting. He says, you are witnesses, church. You Thessalonians, you know how I lived. You saw me live. And so is God. God saw everything. And Paul describes his life in verse 10 as holy and righteous and blameless. As he lived in Thessalonica, he lived a holy life set apart for God, honoring to God. A righteous life. So he made right choices that honoured Jesus, and a blameless life, so nobody could point the finger at him and say, that man is a hypocrite. Now there's a man of integrity. He preached a pure message and he lived a pure life. Holy, righteous, and blameless. There is something very attractive, isn't there, about the Christian whose lifestyle is one of integrity, so when they speak the message, it just matches up. Chuck Swindle said this, few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. 
The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, just crackerjack clean living. Just honest to goodness, bone deep, non-hypocritical integrity. Someone said to me, uh, don't misinterpret giftedness for godliness. It's less about how gifted you are and more about how godly you are. So when I left academia, went into the ministry, one thing I struggled with was what I call the, the goldfish bowl where it felt like everybody was watching me. You know, you go to church and someone says, oh, new shirt tonight. My offertory game paid for that shirt. I was like, come on, give me a break. But actually, there's some truth in that, you know. People need to look at your life, warts and all, and say, there's a man who's living out what he preaches. Same with you. Are you living out what you claim to believe? Are you a person of integrity? Number three, if we're going to share our life and share the gospel, we need to love people well. I love verse 8. My ordination verse, because we loved you. Because we loved you, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You might think that Paul is a theologian. He's not a theologian, he's a lover. He loves people. He cared for people. He was a burden bearer. He carried their burdens. He cared for them. He describes his love in verse 7 as like a a nursing mother who cares for her children. So we cared for you. It's a beautiful visual illustration of a a child in need. And when the child is in need, something kicks in. That's what the maternal instinct kicks in. And the mother is there to care for, to carry, to bind the wounds, to love. If a child is hurting or upset, the parent hurts with them. And Paul says, that's how I felt about you. And Paul is not ashamed to use emotional words. I loved you, he says. I loved you so much. Literally, I had you in my heart. I cared for you, verse 8. That word care is an active word. Uh, Love isn't just a feeling. Care is actually when you take actions based on your love. And caring is costly. It was Spurgeon who said, a a good character is your best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you and cared by you will remember you when forget-me-nots are withered. So carve your name on people's hearts by the deep love that you have for them. I wonder whether people in your life can say, wow, that person, he, he just loves me. And he shows his love by the way that he cares in action. Caring will be costly, it will be demanding, it will be time-consuming. Paul talks about how he's worked hard not to be a burden to them. Working day and night, verse 9, because he cared for them, he loved them. Let me make an observation about life in Sydney. And I think this is true not just for the church family, but for all people in Sydney. I think we lead... Very private lives. And what I mean by that is, it's all good here on a Sunday and we share life, but then we close our front door. And that's like our haven. 
And other cultures, you know, people are in for dinner all the time, and you just stick another sausage on or just cook an extra portion, and everyone's welcome for lunch. And Rach and I have got our boys into one room so that we can have a spare room in our home. That's so something like Tom can live with us at the moment for this year, or Toby last year. Just having people in your home. See, caring for people will cost you. Now, the phone rings at 2 a.m. in the morning, as it did regularly with Annie O'Shaughnessy. Remember Annie? The hospital again. Yeah, she'd attempted suicide again. So you get out of bed and you go to the hospital because you care. We're called to love people. Remember what Martin Luther King said? Martin Luther King, talking about the Good Samaritan, he said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked, the religious people asked, were, if I stop and care for this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop and care for this man, what will happen to him? And when you love people and care for them, you think about them, not yourself. And I just wonder whether people would take Jesus more seriously and the church more seriously if they saw us loving better. So people of courage, people of integrity, people of love, and lastly, people of humility. People of humility. Verse 4 reminds us that we speak as those approved by God. We're just God's messengers. He's entrusted us. He's left us with his message. But at the end of the day, we are not looking for the praise of people, verse 4. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts, and that keeps you humble. Pride is an ugly thing, but when you try and please people or seek the applause of people, and when you get it, you can become very arrogant and very proud. He says in verse 6, we're not looking for the praise from people not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles we could have asserted our authority. And what he's saying there is that if you go through life remembering that you're a child of God and you're seeking the approval of God and you want to reach that last day and just hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, it's the most liberating truth and it keeps you humble. Because we don't do and say things to please people, we do it to please God. See, no one may notice all the hours that you put in care for people, but God does. That's all that matters. And no one may notice all the conversations that you've had about Jesus. That's okay, because God knows. And no one may know that you've invited that church into per- church, person to church 20 times, but God knows that. Don't, you don't need to tell people that. And, and living this life of humility, you're just thinking, I don't need people's praise. I just want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I wonder if we had those four things here at 3.30 Church, that we were people of courage who boldly talked about Jesus, not ashamed of the gospel, and people of integrity whose lives matched up to our message, and people who cared and loved well, and lived a life of humility. Then perhaps when we share our life and share the gospel, people might listen.